Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff Wagner with you until 3 o'clock this afternoon, taking your calls throughout the show today on where were you when you learned of the attacks of September 11th and whether you vaguely remember it because you were a young kid in school or you were the one who told your son or daughter about it. All of you have vivid images and memories of that day. Our next guest uh, has one of the most unique um, memories of September 11th, 2001, because she had a view that so few did, and that is longtime ABC News White House correspondent Ann Compton, who has carved out, thankfully so for me, carved out a couple of minutes of her time, and she joins us here on WTMJ. Hi, Ann. It's good to connect with you again. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. What an anniversary, 20 years. You know, I think sometimes we see the events of 9-11 with more clarity now than we did when it was happening. What is the most, and this is a, this may be a tough question to answer, what is the most enduring image in your mind from the view you had throughout that incredible day? And it was unquestionably, as we sat in the cabin on Air Force One, flying out of uh, Florida, the president thought he was going back to Washington, but then the Pentagon was hit, so that wasn't going to happen. And as we circled over South Florida, with literally no place for the president to go, no place for him to land, the the TV screens inside Air Force One, embedded in the front bulkhead wall of each cabin, showed very hazy pictures picked up from TV stations on the ground. And when we saw the first tower buckle and then the second soon thereafter collapse, all we could think of is that there might be twenty or 30,000 innocent Americans at their desks that morning who had just lost their lives. I was watching an interview, and you've done a myriad interviews over these last uh, few weeks and certainly will in the days to come because of the perspective you bring. And we appreciate you bringing that perspective here to WTMJ. But I, I was watching one of the interviews you did, and you spoke about being, as we kind of go back a little bit, being in the classroom in Florida. Can you share with us how those moments unfolded for you and the interaction specifically you had with then uh, Chief of Staff Andy Card? Absolutely. It was the place of such innocence, and it was a day that was not going to produce any news on education, the president's best issue. He had only been president for less than eight months, and George Bush sat in the, uh, in the classroom listening to the students race through their vocabulary drills, second graders. And when Andy Card walked in, leaned down, whispered briefly, and stepped away, I was stunned. Because nobody interrupts a president in front of any audience, even second graders. What really struck me was the look on the president's face. It was a gravity I had never seen before. And what we know now is what the president knew at that moment. He had already asked the intelligence community, what could Osama bin Laden, what could al-Qaeda do to hurt Americans on U.S. soil? He had asked that question. We didn't know that, but that moment he got his answer. And correct me if I'm wrong, you made a note, a notation in your reporter's notebook about the moment 
that uh, card walked over to the president, didn't you? I did. I was so stunned. I wrote down 9.07 a.m., Andy oh. whispers. Now, I had covered Andy in the earlier Reagan administration and the Bush 41 administration. I knew him well. And just a small group, 12 pool reporters and photographers were in the back of the classroom. All the other reporters were in the school cafeteria. So I knew getting to Andy Card would be crucial to know him what's going on. And I sidled over to the side of the room, caught his eye. And with my hand, I made the sign of an airplane going down. Andy Card raised his hand and put up two fingers. That's Hmm. the only confirmation we had in that classroom of what all America was watching on television, two planes Hmm. crashing inexplicably into iconic towers in New York. What was the feeling inside Air Force One as it, for several hours, hopscotched its way to points unknown around the country before ultimately getting back to the Capitol at the end of the day? You, you make a good point there. We did seem to circle with no idea where we were going. This was clearly a doomsday scenario moment where the U.S. military opens its playbook and the U.S. Secret Service uh, is in on it. And all they are charged with doing is keeping intact the constitutional, uh, uh, constitutional succession of power elected by the American people. The military protects the civilian government. So I knew that President Bush was okay on the plane, but that protecting him and keeping him away from any other danger would be paramount. And the president, which we couldn't hear, was arguing with Andy Card. He demanded to go back to Washington. He said, that's what leaders do. He's got to go back. Uh, but of course, the, the pilot and the Secret Service and the chief of staff wouldn't let the president. At one point, the plane suddenly rose, notably 10,000 feet. And a Secret Service agent just told me, uh, we just went to 44,000 feet. We're not going back to Washington anytime soon. That's when they thought Air Force One might also be a target. At any point during that trip, did you fear for your safety and for everyone? The president obviously included on board Air Force One. How real was that fear? Never once during the entire day and the two stops at Barksdale Air Force Base and later at Strategic Command Headquarters in Nebraska, never once did I worry about us or our safety or the uh, the safety of Air Force One, safest place you'd ever want to fly. But I, my heart broke for the people that we could see on the ground running for their lives in New York, for the people evacuating the White House uh, who, who literally ran into the street and had nowhere to go. And of course, the Capitol building, what a target. Uh, when you look at the Pentagon, it's, Pentagon's not as easy to see as the Capitol Dome is. So my despair those hours was for the innocent moms and dads, the people who had simply gone to work every day, that feeling of vulnerability that Americans in our generation, Scott, uh, we had never felt that kind of vulnerability, innocent civilians as targets. Well, you allude to it, Anne, and, and you, you are the consummate professional, but was there any point 
that day, that night when you finally returned to Washington? Was there, was there any point where the gravity, the enormity of the day hit you as Ann Compton, the American, as opposed to Ann Compton with the reporter mindset and, and trudging ahead to do the job that, that, that you knew you had to do? When did personally uh, hit glad, you? I'm glad you asked that because there was a moment when you're a poor reporter, you are representing the entire White House press corps. And in fact, you're the eyes and ears of the American people. You can't afford to let any emotion pull you away from your job. But when we got back to the White House, I was lucky. I was on Air Force One. I was allowed to stay on board after the refueling. And I got back to Washington on a second helicopter from Andrews Air Force Base to the lawn of the National Monument, uh, the Washington Monument, um, at about 7 o'clock in the evening so that the president could address the nation. When we raced inside the White House and I got to my little, uh, the ABC News booth where we worked, and I opened my laptop and there was an email from my two sons at Vanderbilt University and their email said mom our fraternity brother Ted Adderley was on the 93rd floor of the first tower and at that moment this day of crisis had a human face handsome young man in his first job out of college and I sat down and I cried there was one other moment and you'll appreciate this you and I who do so much radio I went home about midnight that night, had to come back into the White House 4.30 the next morning uh, to report on what comes next. And I set my alarm clock. I woke up just before it went off, and I looked up at the numbers 429, and I prayed that when it came on, I would hear a weather report, maybe early traffic. A normal day, but of course I didn't. I heard the sirens and the reports mm-hmm. from ground zero. And when I left the house at 4.30 that morning, 4.45 that morning to go to the White House, overhead, flying over Washington very low, were jet fighters keeping the cradle of democracy safe. That mm-hmm. was an emotional moment. We talked about this a couple days ago, Anne, and I'll ask you, as as now, you weren't then, as, as you are now, a grandmother. How do you talk to your grandchildren about this? How would you maybe suggest uh, adults speak to children about this who weren't alive or who were so young they remember nothing of that day? I've thought about that a lot because when I... Uh, ended my White House career in 2014, I took a fellowship at Harvard, and all these college students sitting around my seminar table were one or two years old. They, they had no immediate memory. Now I'm a, I've, got my, I've got four children. They are all parents. I've got eight grandchildren, ages seven on down. And I don't talk to them about this. And they don't even know who Ann Compton is. They know who Nan is, but they don't know who Ann Compton is. They've never seen me on television. So I don't talk to the very young. But when I talk to those who grew up hearing about it, I tell them something that, that, that gives me comfort. America is an amazingly resilient country. We have been through, in uh, the 245-year history, the Civil War, uh, horrific race relations and and crusades. We've gone through just terrible financial collapse. But America pulls together and rebounds. And I want 
my children and grandchildren to see a country where no matter how awful the chaos seems at the moment, America, because it's a democracy, has the ability to pull together and rise again. Last question for you, Anne, and I know you got to get ready for another uh, uh, TV hit here in a couple minutes. But you mentioned the notebook, and uh, maybe this is the radio guy in me, or the you know the, the reporter in me, whatever it might be. Do you have? I imagine that notebook yet. Are there other any personal keepsakes that you have uh, from that day, from that time, maybe in a box somewhere that a day like tomorrow you might open up and just look at to, to bring back some of those emotions? Uh, I'm on my way home from uh, a live shot on CNN, and I brought with me the, the TikTok that I wrote on board Air Force One and then typed up when uh, when I had time. And I bring that with me. The notebook I used that day where I recorded everything, every moment with a time Eastern time zone, exactly what happened moment to moment. And it was such an important notebook. I have kept all my notebooks. I've had boxes full of them, but that was so important. I put it in a very secure place so I would never lose it. I can't find it. Oh, no. <laughs> I, it, oh, no. It's, somewhere, it's somewhere safe, but it's even safe for me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My goodness. Ann Compton, um, 40 years, White House correspondent, one of the most unique vantage points, perspectives of 20 years ago tomorrow, which, incidentally, I didn't realize... Um, September 10th, a rather significant date for you in your career as well. So it means even more that you joined me here on 9-10. Right, right. It was September 10th, 1973, that I signed on the dotted line and started my first day as an ABC News Network correspondent. I was 11 at the time, Scott. And uh, I, I chose that very same day when I decided after 41 years that that was enough. And I chose, I said, I will work through the summer and I would like to retire on September 10th, 2014. In 48 years after she started at ABC, she joins us on WTMJ. And, Anne, it's always a privilege, and, and I appreciate it greatly. I know you're uh, pulled in many directions this week and specifically this weekend. So thank you for joining us here back in Milwaukee. And thank you very much. And everybody, please pause tomorrow and think of all those heroes who worked so hard to bring America back 20 years ago.